I always feel sure. weird about that when I'm like, I'm super excited to announce the, oh yeah, you guys have already heard the, spread the title of this uh, episode. <laughs> so, I mean. Uh, Our guest coming up a, soon. Who's the guest? surprise guest that was uh, not a surprise as soon as. <laughs> anyway. This is all going into the cold open. <laughs> so so by the time they hear this, they'll know exactly what's going on. Let's just do it. Welcome to another episode of ArrayCast. I'm your host, Connor, and today we have with us three panelists. We'll go around and do a short introduction, starting with Bob and going to Adam and Marshall. I'm Bob Terrio. I am a J enthusiast, and I'm working on the J-Wiki, and it's a wonderful project, but it's a lot of work. I'm Adam Bolsevsky, full-time APL programmer, also does uh, various types of social media and uh, content creation. I'm Marshall Lockbaum. I'm the author of BQN. And in the past, I've been a J programmer and a dialogue developer as well. And as mentioned before, I'm your host, Connor, day-to-day C++ developer, but uh, in my free time, array language and combinator enthusiast, and super excited to talk about our topic today. But before we get to that, we're going to have two short uh, announcements. We'll first go to Adam for one, and then Bob for our final one. Right. So there is one week left uh, to submit in the APL Problem Solving Competition. If you haven't started yet, uh, you might not be able to solve everything, but you still have a chance to win, let's say, a phase one price. And together with that one week left, there's also one week left of uh, the early bird discount for registration to the Dialog 22 user meeting in Portugal. And my announcement, you may have already caught on, that Marshall is going to be one of our new panelists. So welcome to Marshall, and thank you for agreeing to uh, come on the ArrayCast and be a regular panelist. We found we were talking so much about BQN that we had to bring you on. And and addition to the, the expertise that you bring in your background, uh, it's great to have you on, and I uh, look forward to having you in future podcasts. And I should also say today, we're missing Stephen Taylor. We hope to have him back for the next podcast. Um, he's off getting mended right now. Uh, hopefully nothing serious. He just said that he had to uh, take, go in for an operation and uh, was not available for this podcast. Yeah, I'm super excited about this because I have felt... Um... Because I can't actually remember when we started this podcast, but I think BQN was on my radar, but uh, I definitely have learned so much about it since having started this podcast, what, over just over a year ago now. And since having learned about it, I felt that BQN, we were missing sort of, we had, you know, APL, J, K slash Q, although I'm not sure if we should put the slash there. Um, But, you know, there's there's a dotted line or a solid line, however you want to draw it. And then also BQN now, which is, um, yeah, it's a... I mean, Marshall can talk all about it, but it's it's kind of like a hybrid, kind of something completely new and different. And uh, we're going to discuss some of that today with our topic, which is control flow structures and keywords, if I've got that correct, which I know uh, very little about. So I'm just going to throw this to whoever wants to take it first and um, talk about, because I guess I'm, I'm not going to say anything. I'll throw it to whoever wants to say, you know, how these exist. Are they, you know, idiomatic and go from there. Adam, go ahead. Well, I'd like to just start off with a historical background. So if you go way back to the very early APL days or array programming days, before there even was APL, I was on notation um, where it was this a mathematical notation that was also able to describe a flow of, for algorithms. It was great for an algorithm description language. Um, and Iverson used conditionals 
and then since everything was like drawn on on paper or or blackboard um you use these conditionals and then you draw an actual arrow going from the conditional up to the place that you would continue uh execution if the conditional uh, decided so so it's kind of like a flow diagram together with the code and then as one thing and then when uh, the Iverson notation was linearized it was made into a, a one-dimensional uh sequence of equally sized characters in the computer um then that became um, a line-based thing with the right arrow taking a line number and then you could if you gave it an empty list of line numbers to go to, then it wouldn't go anywhere. If you gave it a line number, then execution would jump there. And then you could use the structural functions of APL to create either an array of a line that contained the line number or no line numbers, and you could conditionally go around there. And so for, for many, many years, this was the only way of controlling flow in APL. Basically, it's a go-to. But there aren't any conditionals, and there isn't any ternary or anything like that. The only way you, you could control whether or not it would branch would be to create an array uh, that had either line number or no, or no line number. So it used to be like you would reshape a line number to length one or length zero. That you could use a boolean like that. Um, and so that was for a very long time uh, the only thing. Um, but today, things look a little bit differently. Various dialects of APL added um, algal-like control structures or kind of like basic with key uh, keywords, if, then, else, and if. And Jay also added that. Jay was first. Yeah, Jay was first with that. Um, and they have a slightly different, the way that they work is slightly different. Between, I'm sure we'll, we'll get to that. So this is like just the historical background for that. So does that, the first question I guess I have is that, I had no idea that that was the history. Does that assignment to an array with the line number where you jump to, AKA a sort of go-to, does that exist in Dialogue APL today or is that's that's gone? No, it's not, it's not an array you're assigned to. You create an array and then you feed that kind of like an argument to a function where the function is the right arrow, it's the go-to arrow. I see. Um, and then if there is... Well, which may or may not be considered a function. Yeah, it, it looks like a function application. It lo it's, Syntactically speaking, it's it's very much like a monadic minus, for example. It goes through the parser like a function, but you're not necessarily supposed to know about that. I'm not sure every implementation does it the same way as Dialog does it, as like a, like a function. It could be special syntax. Yeah. But the important thing is, from the APL's perspective, it's kind of like a function you apply to it, and that causes control flow to, or execution to, to jump to a different location. And in general, APL implementations are backwards compatible, and indeed in Dialog APL, as well as GNU APL and APL2 and APLX, all of that still works, even if in some of them, the preferred thing is to use actual keywords. But yes, it all works. That was my second question. So it, it does exist today due to wanting to maintain backward compatibility. Is it recommended though? Um, I would say yes and no. Uh, in general, you'd want to avoid spaghetti programs. Go-to is considered harmful and you really shouldn't do that. And for the listener, Marshall, Marshall shook his head to indicate no. <laughs> I have never heard an APL programmer recommend the use of go-to. Admittedly, I haven't spoken to that many APL programmers, but... There are certain cases where it is still the norm. It's fairly common. Not that I prefer to do it. I, I prefer to have 
a single flow from top to bottom. And if you want to skip out of everything early, then I would put everything in a giant if statement. But it is fairly common to see people wanting to quit the function early. And so APL had this convention uh, that line zero is like the header line of a traditional function. And if you go to line zero, then that just means return the function with whatever value the return variable has. Yeah, which that one. Yeah, sense. that one is fairly common to do. Uh, another thing that still is used is say you have some loop and you want to jump out of that loop, then you could conditionally branch out of it to a label that you would set up. And that's also sometimes used where writing that with control structures could be awkward. Um, but still, if you see a, a and, and the traditional way of formatting APL functions is that all code lines are indented one space, and then labels are not indented. And if you see a, and then of course, since go to, it doesn't return a result, it just takes something on its right. So whenever you do a branch, you will generally have the right arrow as the first character on the line. If you open up an AP, some APL code as a professional APLer, and you see a bunch of lines begin with a right arrow with some long expression after that, and a bunch of lines begin with a label, then immediately go, oh, this is not going to be fun. So no, it's not recommended. <laughs> that brings me to my question, which is why are they there in the languages? Because you can do a lot of this stuff without having to rely on these control structures. But as you said, J has an extensive group of them. I mean, it's got a select statement. It's got, uh, it's got a try and a catch. Um, it has the go-to. I've actually never seen anybody use the go-to, but you can actually, you specify it as go-to underbar label, and then you, you loop, you, you, you name your loops loop underbar label. So you can call your go-tos wherever you want, go back and forth. I've just never seen anybody use that part of it. I have seen people use a lot the try, where you try something and if there's an error, um, it kicks back to your catch. Or you can even call another function and do a throwback. I haven't seen anybody do that. But why are those there? They seem to me to be... If I had a guess, they're there because they're not hard to implement in C, which is the underlying language that you know Jay's implemented in. So, and it's convenience, and I suppose for someone who's got a more um, imperative programming background, alcohol-like background, um, that's comfortable to be able to see your program broken in. If you've got a bunch of tacit or even uh, explicit, uh, you know, sentences, you can break them up by using these control structures to have ifs, elses, else ifs, all those whiles, wilsts. Jay has a wilst, which means you do it once all the time. Yeah, well, it's the equivalent of C do while. Yeah. Um, that's a pretty strange name. <laughs> Whilst? Is it whilst or whilst? Okay, whilst. <laughs> I, I don't know. I literally am just asking. Uh, well, I've I've seen it expanded as while skip test. Uh, that uh, maybe Henry Rich invented that. I don't, I'm not sure about the derivation of that poem. I, I think you're right. The, pres the, the, the pronunciation is probably whilst. Um, I'm not going to claim a new way of pronouncing those letters. <laughs> so maybe maybe what we should do, because the, so the question is, why do we use them? But maybe what we should do first, let's go through uh, to the extent that we can, based on what folks know, enumerate maybe the keywords slash structures and APL, then J. So we'll go APL for Adam, J for Bob, and then BQN for Marshall. And if we want, we can circle back to Adam for Q. And then we can talk about, because um, I definitely know that there, when you mentioned there's alternative ways to do things, but 
some of them I think are very idiomatic, but others are awkward. And maybe we should, once we sort of enumerate what the different ways to do these in the different languages are, we can talk about which are the ones that, you know, the, the three of you reach for, uh, if any of them at all. And when, when do you sort of, um, instead of doing some while loop, do you, do you choose some other sort of more array, idiomatic array approach? Does that sound good? Idiomatic and awkward are not mutually exclusive. <laughs> idiomatic code is usually the least awkward way, but that doesn't mean it has no awkwardness. This is true. This is true. Maybe we'll put a Venn diagram in the... Uh... <laughs> Many of your blogs have very nice Venn diagrams, Marshall. I'll get you to do a, an awkwardness versus idiomatic uh, uh, Venn diagram for us. With that out of the way. I think you should, we should limit our scope slightly also. You mentioned control structures and keywords. Um, and while the control structure may or may not use keywords um, in whatever language, there, there are also keywords that are not control structures that I don't think are so interesting in, in this aspect. Like, for example, uh, Jay has an assert keyword. Right, right. The ones that I'm primarily thinking in my head and potentially the listener are most interested in are uh, conditionals, a.k.a. Uh, like if statements, specifically sort of expression-based ones where you have an if and then an else. Um, and then also, I think the loop, you know, most array programmers, even beginners, very quickly figure out how to get around. But a lot of while loops, especially ones where that can't be mapped to sort of uh, building up a mask and then doing a reduction where you need to conditionally grow something. Like, so for instance, if you need to uh, multiply or square a number until it's above a certain value. That's like a very classic while loop, and then you multiply it by two. Um, there's ways to do that, um, but a lot of times when I'm coding up a leak, co leak code or small problem, I'll just like choose a number that I know is large enough to like solve all of them and then just like do a take whatever or, or find that value. Um, anyways, I'll stop talking. So yeah, maybe we'll try and focus on whiles and ifs, but there's, if there's something close to that, um, that you think should be included, definitely, definitely feel free to do. So let's start with APL. And okay, um, it should probably limit it to a particular uh, APL dialect. Just to note that not every APL does support this. If I remember right, GNU APL uh, does not have control structures. It closely follows APL2, which doesn't have any of these sort of thing at all. That's right. But other common APL implementations, APL uh, dialect APL, APLX, and APL plus. Um, definitely have them and to very they, I think they're they're very close in the vocabulary I just mostly familiar with with dialogue and and so yeah so I did a bunch of research on this and there was like a it was at some point in like the mid-90s all the APL vendors suddenly came around and decided wait we need to add these control structure things that everybody's been using for the past 15 20 years um and so then one of them it may have been APLX one of them found this uh this colon syntax and they they all jumped on that very quickly. Yeah, so so the way it's spelled is pretty much with traditional names for these that you see in C style languages um or yeah, but with keywords so you'd have an if and end if um and then in order to preserve the APL axiom that there are no reserved words then it uses a colon in front. The colon has traditionally used in APL for control flow. So you have uh, the traditional label would be label name colon at the beginning of a line. And here you just begin with a colon instead. So it's colon if. And so uh, we've got if, while, uh, repeat, which is just starts a loop without any condition there. Um, and then you can, both while and repeat can 
either just end with like end while we just keep rolling and 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 repeat um you can or you can have an until so this is, you can have a, a condition at the end of the loop as well then there are four uh, four loops um there's both four in and four in each so you can have multiple variables that are being updated every time around the loop and you can it's kind of like a transpose of where you pick them up from uh, the select which i think is generally called a switch in other languages it's like it's a case statement so you just select this thing and then there are multiple cases um and there are else uh, as well so it's like a fallback for anything in both if and, and select um, then there is, is a bit special as a trap one, which is kind of like the, the try. And there is a difference between APL implementations. But the idea is you you run some code inside this block, and then if anything happens, you can go to handle that. That was actually pretty cool, I think, in the way that they can classify errors and take different action depending on different errors. Um, and then there's some keywords that help you break out of them. So there's like you can return from the function, you can leave the current loop that you're in or you can continue with to the next iteration of this loop without finishing it up and finally um we have something called colon section which is kind of like an if true so it doesn't do anything it's just it's just a control uh, it's just a, a block to help you organize your code but it doesn't actually do anything so that's the vocabulary there's a, some dialects can do slightly more some can do slightly less but that's that's the idea um all right so that's for APL, dialog APL specifically. Um, and for J, Bob, what do, what do they have? Something similar? Yeah, pretty pretty similar to that. Um, we've got um, we've got the if, um, and we also have an else if. Um, and the structure is you've got if, and then you've got a statement, which is going to be your control statement. It's going to be true or false. It'll evaluate true or false. It actually is dependent. It's actually not true and false. It's zero and anything else. And not only that, it's only the first item in your uh, whatever you create. So in other words, if you create an array of, uh, you know, one, zero, 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 one, it's going to be true because that first one is a one. If it was a zero at the beginning, it would be false. Oh, wow. I didn't know this. I didn't know this. Yeah. So it can get, it can get kind of tricky. Um, you know, like if you don't know that. Well, so what if it's empty? If it's empty, then it's true. Whoa. Yeah. You leave something empty, it's true. Wow. So it's the absence of a zero in the first element or something like that. Not zero in the first element. If you put an empty and if you so as you go say and, and the way it works in J is the control words are always of followed by a dot, a period. So if period dot is a control word, if you type in if, then you're, you're, you create a variable that's named if, but if period dot is a control word. And all control words are followed by a dot, so you can, you can spot them pretty easily. Um, but if you have if dot nothing, then you follow it with do dot, and then whatever you follow it by, in this case, it will be followed afterwards by end dot. Um, so you've got your, your sentence is kind of broken up into these, these sections, but with nothing in that first area, it's going to be true and it will do the last part of it every time. Wow, that's really interesting. And I think that, that I didn't mention this uh, when you said uh, else if, yeah, APL has a else if as well, but, um, there's, I've seen in, in various language discussions what's considered truthy, what's considered falsy. Uh, JavaScript has a, is a mess. Um, and um, I really like the aspect of, AP, at least dialog APL, that only a single 
zero is falsy and only a single one is truthy and nothing else. So if I end up saying if two, then I'll get an error. And that's a, I, I find that that's a big rescue net. It will generally catch me in doing some, having made a mistake as opposed to those languages where it just, oh yeah, that's, that's true. Uh, or, or if empty string, oh no, that's false. Okay, let's go. Um, so I really like that aspect. You can, you can have various shapes on that, uh, that zero or one. So it could be a, a one element vector or it could be a scalar or, um, but, uh, or even a matrix and so on, but as long as it's a single element, but that, works out what would, well, what would happen if it was a matrix like you, or say you had it, you know it just has to be a single ton just has to be a single element okay of any shape the dialogue does that a lot where it, uh, it accepts singletons in a lot of places where you might expect a scalar but i've never had that be an issue isn't that and and you sometimes you end up with a with a one element vector that really stands for a single true false value that works fine so the other one that's kind of interesting, I think, is is the four and you know, four dot, or four underbar, and then whatever you want is your variable in your for loop dot, and that means you can. And if you do the underbar and the variable name, it will track within its for loop. It will track that variable name. So, for instance, and, and what it's doing is four is doing each um, item of whatever you give it. So if you give it three numbers it's going to do the first number the second number the third number um, if it's just four dot the loop won't know what those numbers are but if you do four under bar and then the variable name you can then access that variable name and the index of that variable name within your loop which is kind of sometimes pretty useful it just gives you an Wait, how do you get the index of it how does that work um with the index you um well, you just you, you uh, look for that name and then you underbar index. Oh, so you'd have two underbars: four underbar variable name underbar index, and then so every time I run the loop, it will give it. No, no, it just automatically creates. A... It automatically creates underbar index for that variable name. Whoa! So, so that's a reserved word, kind of. If you had a, another variable with that name, it would just what get overwritten. Um, I suppose if you used underbar index, sure. If you were in the middle of a for loop, I guess it would. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like it's very verbose for, like, they named the language J, <laughs> yeah. and they didn't go underscore I. I'm just very surprised that when you said underscore index, I was like, Bob must mean, like, just underscore or, like, underscore I. There's no way they added, like, five letters, but clearly I was wrong. But being that it's a reserved name, you want to kind of make it long and obscure so you don't, by mistake, like, clash. Because it's pretty natural to have something, like, called K underscore I or something like that. I mean, that's true, but... Most of the functions like p colon for primes and stuff like they didn't, you know. I, I guess. Oh, but those are not reserved. Yeah, yeah, those have col. Yeah, okay. I, I see the point. I see the point. I am checking right but, now. Uh, I'm, I'm still surprised. Just to make sure that I'm being accurate with this. Also, that means if you have, if you have two nested loops that use the same variable name, which otherwise wouldn't be a problem. You just can't see the outer one then you can't get the out the index of the outer one either that's like a problem with every language though like don't name your don't shadow your outer loop variable name with the same no no but but my point is you don't even if you choose the same name because you don't need the outer one now you you cannot choose the name of the index variable i mean i yeah i think technically technically you're right but i, I don't think um and i was going to mention too for those of uh our listeners that are polyglot this is kind of similar to go it's one of the very 
I shouldn't say very few. It's one of the nicest things about Go when I learned it is that their range-based for-loop syntax by default comes with like a tuple that's destructured that always comes like... So the enumerate in Python that bundles your index with a, a sequence so that you can destructure it to whatever be index, comma, element, that's like built into every single uh, Go range-based for loop. And if you don't want the index, you just use an underbar to discard it. So this is kind of similar in that when you have this version of your for loop in J, uh, the underscore index is there for you to access if you want. And and I checked, and it is underscore index. It's whatever you, your variable name was, underscore index is actually the index that you're working on at that time. And if you had nested loops, I think you could do on the, the innermost loop, you would just use the... Uh, name of the outermost loop and find out what that index was. I would think you would do it that way. Yeah, I think Adam's point was, though, is that if you use the same name for all of your in indices... Which you should really never, ever do. Yeah, which which you should... I think is just a bad... Like, technically, he's right. Best type of right. <laughs> even in, like... Or I shouldn't say even in, like, most languages, when you've got some triply nested for loop, it's, you know, IJK or, or column row, yeah. whatever... You know, it's um, so so it's not an issue. Hopefully. Yeah, but but I definitely don't like the idea that the language is is uh, is making up its own names that my variables are gonna have. It's kind of strange. Yeah, yeah. I I kind of like the way it is in in JavaScript though. As much critic as I have for 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 JavaScript, but there, if you do a um, how's it go? Like a a map. Yeah. So it passes uh, I think three arguments to the to the function that's the mapping function. It gives you the value and the index and then the entire array, actually. But the thing is, you can give it a function that only takes one argument, and then yeah, you need, don't need to the get rid job. of that. Yeah. So so that works out really nicely. But the way I would do it in APL, of course, is I would just have two variables, then have the, the value array, and then IOTA tally uh, of the value array. And then it just doesn't in each. Yeah. And I, I do like being explicit about that, but. I mean, yeah, I get that if you're using the indices a lot, the JavaScript way is uh, a little simpler. I mean, it's... Yeah, it's interesting that it sounds like JavaScript, and, you know, listener, I apologize. I don't know anything about JavaScript, really. It sounds like they're overloading. Like, just they have three different map functions, one that takes a unary operation, a binary, and a, a ternary. Whereas in other languages, like Clojure, they have, like, different names. So it's, like, map and then map with index. And um, I don't think they have map with index and also copy the array for every single iteration. But um, it sounds like JavaScript is doing something like that. I think JavaScript is just dynamic. That it, you can just, if you if you try to call a, to use a function that doesn't take enough arguments, then it just won't be fed those extra arguments, and that's it. Well, or, or you could say it is, and it just ignores. Yeah, them. either way. Um, yeah. So every function really takes an infinite number of arguments, but it it only uses a prefix of them. Yeah. Right, right. Bob, you were going to say something. We should stop talking about JavaScript before we get a bunch of our expert JavaScript listeners being like, "What do you, you guys have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> well, back just that first letter of JavaScript. So we're back to J now. Um, the question I've got is, uh, honestly, with, with why would you use, I mean, uh, why would I use a for loop? <laughs> like, I, I have so many other ways I can do it in an array style. Why is that there? Yeah, that one has never made okay, a lot we'll, of sense. Well, let's get back to that. Right? Well, okay. You don't want to answer that question now. Well, so we, we should finish with BQN's, BQN's uh, structures, and then we'll circle right. back to why do this. Maybe the answer is just don't, and then we'll end the episode. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so BQN. 
Um, BQN has no keywords. Um, every piece of built-in BQN functionality, um, or the, I guess the one exception is the system values, which are written with a dot, so they're more like names. There's this filled-in dot, and then you'll write a name. It's like APL's quad. Other than that, um, every piece of BQN syntax and every primitive is one character. Um, so there are no keywords, and there are no control structures either. Um, the closest thing we have is uh, the BQN's kind of explicit functions or equivalent to defens are called blocks. And these have a system where every block can have uh, multiple bodies in it. And it runs, um, generally it only runs one body. So there might be a header that tells you what arguments the body applies to. And there's also uh, the closest thing that BQN has to a control structure is a predicate, which is written to the question mark. So you'll write an expression and then a question mark, and it'll it'll normally be evaluating the code. It'll evaluate the expression, and the, the question mark tells it, was that zero or one? If it's one, you just continue, and if it's zero, you exit out of that body. You say, well, this this wasn't what I was looking for. So one way to use it is, is as kind of like an extension to a header. Like the header can't declare maybe that one of the arguments has rank two or more. In a predicate, you can just say, well, is two less than the rank of my argument? Question mark. And um, so that, that sort of extends the header. Um, and you can also use it as a, like a ternary statement and an if-then kind of thing. So it's pretty flexible. Um, and it's a lot like APLs uh, or dialog APLs guards and defense as well. So um, that's the closest BQN gets to a control structure, though. And the idea is, I mean, this... Uh, I, I wouldn't say this is necessarily complete, but um, the way things work is that you should be using, uh, you shouldn't be trying to use these imperative constructs in BQN. You should be using generally functional programming and trying to use things like uh, recursion or use, uh, well, in the case of, I can say the J's for each loop, and this, this also works in APL and, and J, the... Uh, Instead of that, you can just use the each operator or modifier, and that works just as well. Uh, so there are a lot of different ways to, to do control flow in BQN. Having first-class functions helps a lot. Um, and there's a page of the documentation where it shows you, well, you can build all these control structures as first-class functions that take, uh, they don't work on blocks of code, but they work on block functions. And that looks pretty similar. You just have to say each block has, uh, ignores its argument. Um, so you get something that looks a lot like control structures, but it's built out of first-class functions. And that means it fits better with this um, functional style of programming and uh, a more declarative programming as well. You can kind of do this in APL, and, and people have been doing this for decades, um, writing uh, fake keywords, control structures that are actually operators. Um, and so they might... So, for example, you could do an... Um, an if-else operator that takes two operands, um, which are just functions, or they could be long functions with multiple lines, and then it takes one argument. It takes that argument and says, if it's true, then it runs one of its operands. And if it's false, it runs the other operand. Yeah, and so uh, the big difference in BQN is that you can just write a list of functions. Um, since BQN has this explicit stranding syntax, one of the really nice things is that you can strand, say, two block functions together. 
these functions have curly braces, and then you just put uh, one strand ligature character, the little smile thing, between them. Um, and then you get a list of two functions. So that even looks reasonably like the syntax you'd get with an if statement. You have if, and then some curly braces with something inside, not parentheses, and then the ligature, and then more curly braces, and you can spread that second function out onto multiple lines, and you get something that looks a little like imperative code. Um, so that way you don't have to uh, be using operators, which give you kind of a weird, uh, weird ordering for everything. And just to maybe um, illuminate a little bit more what Adam said, because this is something that for the longest time I never understood, even to like a couple months ago, is that when Adam said operands and arguments, and Adam, you can clarify or correct me if I'm misarticulating what you're saying, is that there's basically there's different types of arguments to functions in APL. So in APL, you've got omega and alpha as your argument arguments, and you have double omega and double alpha as function arguments. So when he said operands, he was referring to arguments that you take as functions, and uh, when he said argument, he was referring to argument arguments, I think. Is that correct? So Yeah, I was, I, the way I like to think of it is like, like operators are like function factories. They take one or two parameters and uh, and construct a function from that. And those parameters can be either arrays or functions, or one could be an array and one as a function. Um, so, and those are called operands. So operators take operands to derive a new function. And all functions derived or not take arguments. So that's the vocabulary we use. And so the way I was envisioning this is, and, and syntactically the way it would be, is that the, a dyadic operator, an operator that takes two operands, that would, this, it's called a conjunction in J, and it's called a two modifier in uh, in BQN, but it's syntactically exactly the, the same. It takes one function on either side. So you can write function A, my operator, function B, and then an argument. So that's so that's what Marshall means that the the order of things is a bit funny. So you have the if the if operator is in the middle, the for example true clause is is on the uh, on the left, and the false one is on on the right, and the the conditional is on the far right, the actual value that determines the how things. And you could set it up like that. Yeah, and what's at least what was confusing for me for the longest time is that you have in your head while you're learning the fact that you are in a simplified world if you ignore forks and stuff you're limited to two arguments um to, to you know unary and binary or monadic and dyadic functions and so i never understood that you could use basically both operands and arguments in a single defund so it's like if you see double alpha double omega and then alpha and omega technically that's like four arguments if you use argument as an all-encompassing term oh. Input, input. Yeah. Input? Yeah, or parameters if you we, want. We'll all stay much sane. Yeah. What, what is, oh, I see. Use input for yeah. the all-encompassing term for arguments and operands. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah, so there's four inputs to that defund. Um, but, like, I had never read a chapter that, like, explained or anything. And I don't think it was until I was watching, like, a dialogue webinar that I saw someone building one of these functions. And they were like, oh, yeah, these will be your, your functions that you're passing in. And these will be the data that you're passing in. And I was like, oh. That's pretty simple. Like it's just you have to realize that you can pass in a maximum of two arguments 
or two operands or both at the same time. And uh, that can be up to four inputs. And whenever you see the operands, that makes your defund functionally an operator, correct? Yeah, it's called a deops then, yeah. A deop. Oh, yeah. And that's actually something that I learned recently is that we refer to uh, defunds. Like, I always thought whenever you see the braces, that's just a defund. But that's not true. Braces with alpha and omega is a defund. Braces with alpha and omega uh, and potentially a omega omega or alpha alpha is a deop, which the fun is for function and the op is for operator, um, which is anyways, we're sort of. Yeah, so that's why I had to go with a block in BQN that's just, uh, it is all encompassing. Interesting. So what's the difference in BQN from, because, or I'll let you describe it, but you don't have the alphas and omegas. You've got little sort of scripty FGs and Xs and stuff. Yeah, double struct. Blackboard is bold. Yeah, yeah, you can call them that too. I mean, there's not a huge difference. There is, um, there is a difference in that, um, and this is also where BQN is more like J. Uh, in APL, you always have to take um, you always have to take the arguments before doing anything. So if you have your block and you only use the operands, so it, that's a deop, but uh, it'll take its operands and then it'll still just sit there, even though it doesn't mention the arguments, it's waiting for them. Um, so in BQN, you have immediate blocks. You have both um, a, a really immediate block that has no arguments or operators. And that's a lot like that um, that uh, control structure that Adam mentioned that's not really a control structure. It just groups code. Um, that can also create namespaces, which is nice. Um, so you have an immediate block, but you also have immediate modifiers that if they don't mention their arguments, then they can just take operands and uh, return a function immediately. So you might have like an immediate operate, immediate modifier, sorry, that returns a train, and then you don't need to mention the arguments. Um, but there, mostly the differences are in the details. The basic idea of defin or deop versus bq and block is um, pretty similar. I'd like to mention an example. So I said we can we can define our own kind of control keywordy kind of operators and apply them. But all of these languages, uh, these three at least, BKN, APL, uh, and J, they all actually have one simple one that's there as a glyph right out of the box. And you might not realize you can use it like this. That's the power operator. So the power operator for all these languages, one, one usage of it is identical. Function on the left, of the power operator. And on the right, you have a number indicating how many times to apply this function to the overall argument. Now, if you restrict the domain of the number of times to apply it to zero and one, that is a condition, because remember in all these languages, true and false are just zero and one. Then effectively, if it's a one, we apply the function once. If, you're, if it's zero, we apply the function zero times, that is not at all. And that is just an if statement. So the power operator, a subset of its domain, is an if. Apply this function on the left, if condition on this argument. And the addition with J is, if you use negative one, you get the inverse. Oh yeah, well that's all of them. All, and in BQN too. So so that yeah, and and you can if you can give if you do two, it will do it twice. So it's 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 also a repeat n type structure, and all of them have that out of the box. The idea is just that is one operator that behaves in a control structure way. But you could make many, as many operators as you want to do those kind of things. So you can make them ad hoc to do exactly what you need today. Yeah, and that's, uh, that's one of the big 
things in VQN is, um, I mean, I looked at control structures in all these languages and I was like, um, I mean, I, I think from the beginning, I was kind of on the fence about whether I wanted to eventually do control structures. Um, but I looked at all these languages and said, gosh, there, there's so much complexity in these control structures. There's, you know, like how does switch work? What are like, are there fall through cases and crazy things like that? Um, and also there's a lot of subtlety in the way that variables are scoped. Like does, uh, if you have a for loop, can you introduce a new variable in the, in the for part and have that be defined in the block? So there's a lot of confusion there. And so it's, at the same time, it's simpler in BQN if you don't have all this stuff defined that you have to learn. And of course, it's definitely going to be like a little different from pretty much any other language because they're all different from each other. Um, and at the same time, it's more flexible because you can define the thing that does exactly what you want. So you might say, I want this sort of fancy switch statement that actually it takes a list of interleaved condition and function or something like that. Um, or you could take a, an in by two array or, you know, organize things however you want, use the conditions however you want, and uh, so on. So before we go to whether or not you should use this or the cases where you, you would want to use this, um, I'd like, since we don't, we don't have any, any K or Q people here, uh, just, just mention what uh, Q supplies and of which a subset of that is what K supplies, if I have understood everything right. I'm not a KLQ programmer. Um, and and so from the documentation I can see from, from KX, uh, there are basically four control structures. There's a thing called cond or condition, conditional evaluation. Then there's do, if, and while. Um, but the way that they work syntactically is very different from what you have in any of the other array languages. The way they work is, is that, um, so K has these, multi-argument function applications that we don't have in J or APL or, or BQN. And the way it works is that you have the name of the function or symbol for it in this case, uh, and then square brackets, and then you have semicolon delimited um, inputs to, to that function. And that means it's not, it's neither a prefix or an infix application. It's a special K construct with, that's a bit more similar to the type of function application you see in, in generally popular languages, often they'll use like round parentheses with, with comma delimited arguments. And here it's square bracket uh, around and semicolons between. But other than that, it's pretty much the same. And so the way the conditional works, and that's a, a, a dollar sign, and that also exists in, in K, if I understand right, is that the first argument is the condition, the test. And then um, it, it has more statements for the first one is for if it's true and the second one is um, if it's false um, and I believe that it can even take a higher number than zero and one and it will go to and then pick out the specific expression something like that um, and that uh, some things details of that might differ between the um, implementations of k um, and then there's do uh, which is doing it a certain type number of times as kind of like a power operator or a, a repeat thing. So the first argument is just what it's supposed to do. And then the rest are just expressions that it, it does them in this many times over and over again. Um, so that's iteration like that. And then it's got something called if, um, and if takes a condition 
So it's very similar to like the conditional thing. Um, but then it takes multiple expressions and it just runs that as a whole block. So it's kind of like a, a, a block thing. If this condition, then run all these expressions, otherwise don't. Um, and then there's while, and it's very much just like, it's the obvious thing. It takes a condition and then it, a bunch of statements and then it runs through all those statements as long as the condition is true um, and then, then stops. So I guess the question is now, why use well, the question there is, of course, why use BQN? Or, or if you're in BQN, you don't really have to choose because there's only <laughs> there's only one. So or APL two for that sake, you also don't have a choice. I, I'd like to to insert something actually. Why provide these um, these constructs? Not why you why you should use them or not. We'll get to that in a moment. But why provide them from the language implementer's perspective? Um, I think a lot of people will fall back to this algoli way of doing things. Yes, ideally you should express everything in an array-based thing and a single pass and everything. Firstly, some things you just can't. It's impossible, algorithmically speaking. Um, and other times you need to get your work done. Right? It's all nice and beautiful, all this theoretical thing, but I have a job that needs to be done and the performance isn't especially important right now or I can't spend a month thinking about a better algorithm for it. I just need the thing to run. And then people will, will reach after these kind of things. Now, if you do not provide them, as in the good or bad old APL days, or in even in today in APL2, what do people do instead? They will find solutions. They can't just go use a different language necessarily. But they will find solutions. And so what you will see in old code is that you will use they will use the replicate function with a condition. So replicate can take, a, normally you'd have one element on the left of replicate for each element on the right. So for example, one, zero, two, replicate A, B, C, it'll be, get you one A, no Bs, and two Cs. If you supply a single element on the left, it will be used for all the elements on the right. So one replicate A, B, C will give you A, B, C. And two replicate ABC will give you AABBCC, and zero replicate ABC will give you just an empty character vector. And then they will take an APL expression in quotes as a character vector. And now you can't do any kind of analysis of your code, and you can't do syntax coloring or anything because it's just a, a character literal. They'll stick that on the right of the replicate. On the left, they'll have their condition. And that will either, if the condition is true, it will, it will yield a, an APL expression. If the condition is false, it will yield an empty character vector. And then they, and sit down now for this, evaluate that. They'll throw execute or do at that. Um, and that will conditionally run this expression. And you could have the diamond statement separator. You could have a whole bunch of uh, expressions being evaluated one after another. That's horrible, right? Just, that's just terrible. That was, But that was what people were reaching for. And even if we say, well, it's not so nice and it kind of bloats the language and it makes it more complex, but the alternative, either you give people proper control structures and, and Morten Kronberg, the CEO of, of uh, the uh, CTO of Dialog, has even said that, yeah, they are bloaty, they are verbose, they are, and they have this end while and so on. It's all long spells out and not just braces that are more lightweight. They really stick out because it's kind of like another language, kind of like a meta language for the flow. If that's what, if you need that kind of flow, yeah, sure, then you use that. 
but don't go evaluating and have conditionally emptied out character vector. So wait, what were you trying to do there? Like I understood the replicate, but like what was the initial thing that you were trying to do that wasn't possible with APL? You're trying to conditionally run code. And this was, um, so the power operator was not uh, in most APLs for a long time. Um, I guess it, it first appeared in like some APLs in the early 80s, but um, I don't know when it was actually. Not every APL has it even. APL2 doesn't have it. Yeah, so GNU APL probably doesn't still. It, it's possible. So what people would do then is they would get the length of the APL expression plus another couple of characters for a diamond statement separator, then reshape that statement to n times its length. So you get statement, diamond, statement, diamond, statement, diamond, statement, diamond, as a giant character vector, and then execute that. There you go. That's mm -hmm. power n, right? So, but what, what you're saying here right now is basically before we had uh, facilities or glyphs or language features uh, to uh, provide this, you know, functionality, this is what they did, but then they introduced the, the power operator and now having to replicate a string that is executable at some point by the execute glyph to have a bunch of repetitions of the same piece of code. We don't need to do that anymore. So I guess that the alternate version of the question is, um, are there some of these keywords or constructs that are necessary in light of like the best in class sort of APLs or array languages that exist today. Bob? I think, and I, I, Adam has come to, I think he's explained it really well. Part of the reason these constructs are there is because as you point out, the languages evolve and there's different ways to do this now. The point is, if you didn't have the construct, you could see all those same techniques show up in code to do the same thing. You would have people creating, now it sounds crazy to create a string and then make it a zero string or a length of itself string and then evaluate it. That sounds nuts, but you could do it. And if you didn't have a construct that was if, you might find people did that. And, and the idea is, well, it would make more sense to use the power. And at the point I've you know, worked with Jay, we had the power operator. So I always thought, well, that's the way to do it. And that's, I can read that and it's clear. But the point is, if you, if you provide a, a construct, then you know people, if they don't know how to do it, they'll fall back to that. And at least it's a little bit more readable than somebody going way off and going, oh, I can take a string and I'll make it a zero string and then I'll evaluate it and it's nothing. Or I'll make it a one string or a one length string and then it's a string and evaluate it and I'll get a result. Um, the point is, in the languages, you can create those constructs, but if the constructs are available, especially, I guess, in what would be considered maybe boilerplate code, I see um, uh, this type of language used a lot in the, in the definitions and in the um, definitions of the Z locale, which is... That's kind of Jay's base locale. That's Jay's base locale. And you'll see things in there, and, and in, even in the startup of the whole language, you'll see a lot of controls structure but it makes sense because when you're first encountering the language that actually does organize it in a way that if you went back and created this all with power operators and things like that you would look at it and you go I, 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 I kind of understand what's going there. I think it's a facility with the language. And in some areas, you might go to a control structure just because it makes it a bit more clearer. 
And I suppose in terms of implementation, if you know that's how you're implementing it, you're, you can optimize for that too. And that brings us to, should you, or why would you use these things? And, and that I think, sure, for a pure algorithm, mathematical thing, use all the array facilities. I find myself a lot writing APL code that is not doing APLs, should we say, best uh, target area. I'm writing lots of utility code, uh, GUI code, and where there is a flow and there is there are often side uh, parallel side tracks that the flow will take and then come back together again. And the whole thing with operators and and uh, and even different guards, which are just these, if this condition then terminate with this value or um, or, or this expression, otherwise continue execution. It doesn't. It's not a good fit there, and the control structures are a perfect fit. They I literally, my my IDE will indent them, and I can see where the various things go, and uh, and I can I can press a key in my in the IDE and jump to the next part of that control structure. Which, if I had to implement it myself, there would be no support for that. So I guess I guess that's the thing. Is I definitely, at least when I'm writing code, try to adhere to the functional core imperative shell, like at a lot of, you know, the guessing game that many textbooks, you know, guess a number between one and a hundred, and then you have to implement, you know, higher or lower, et cetera, et cetera. That is a very, very like input heavy, like low computation type of program that it's nice to have some sort of for loop or while loop. Um, so that just says, well, you haven't guessed the number, just read in and keep telling the user they're wrong until they're right. Um, but I guess my question is, is like, do you actually need, because a lot of the things, like I never really reach for the control, control flow statements. Um, that being said, I haven't written a huge APL application. Uh, but like, can you get away? Because like, so Marshall hasn't added them. Like, are there, are there ways to, because that's back to the, like, how do you find the first square greater than a thousand? But like, you want to do it in an iterative, like, Obviously, you could. You want to be able to stop early is the issue. Yeah, like yeah, I don't. I don't. The power operator can do that in in APL and. So that's. How, just... I've seen pieces of code like you mentioned that you can have it with a number, but I've also seen it in the game of the light game of life where it just iterates like. Uh, so, I, that's something that I don't know yet. So maybe one of you can explain how to do that. But I guess the greater question is: is is there always sort of a a way to avoid while loops or like can you do the imperative shell part? with the power operator and with, you know, the APL glyphs or the, the J digraphs, like, is it possible to write a large scale application that at some layer is ingesting some input or reading stuff? And, and then at the, in, at the core of it, sure, it's doing all the heavy lifting matrix multiplication, reductions, transforms, et cetera. Um, or, or do you like, sure, it's convenient because we all know what a while loop is. We learned it in Python or whatever we like. The question is, is like, can you get away with it? And it seems like potentially you can. Yeah, if, sort of. If BQN doesn't have it. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the way I think about this is that um, you have uh, you have various programming constructs or styles or paradigms you can use, and they have a certain um, amount of, of power to them. There's there's a uh, set of uh, programs that you can write using those, um, and so quite a lot of mechanisms are just Turing complete. You can write anything at all. Um, but that's, uh, that's not necessarily a good thing because that means, uh, when you write a program, it could be anything at all. Um, 
So, so often you have a lot more power than you want. It doesn't really guide you to writing nicer programs or faster programs or, um, or you know, just, just programs that do what you want. Like if you make one mistake, it tends to, uh, it tends to make it easy to write programs that are, say, subtly wrong, that are just a little wrong. Um, so one thing that array programming does a lot, and I was pretty strict about this in BQN, is it actually restricts what programs you can write. So the thing that array programming is good at is uh, fixed size loops. So like you've got an each loop over a function or a reduction or a scan. Those all do, a, a, like you can calculate the number of iterations that you would do in advance. For each, it's just the size of the array. So it does fixed size stuff. And in BQN, actually, I was uh, very strict about this. I cut out like the uh, APL power limit thing that Adam mentioned so that um, primitives can never express even infinite computations. So BQN's like pure tacit programming is actually um, a very limited kind of computation because you can't even do unbounded uh, loops. You can't say, well, keep going until the user enters an A or whatever. Um, but that also means that you, uh, I mean, mo most programs are, and uh, you can actually see this pretty easily by array programming and finding that in most of your programs, you very rarely have to step outside of this pure tacit paradigm, or you might add functions or stuff, but, but not in a way that fundamentally expands the, the space of things that you can do. Um, so in fact, most problems fit into this space of array programming, which is, uh, a really cool thing about array programming is that it's at the same time, it's a very limited style, but it's also very powerful in that it fits most of the things that you want to do. Um, and then you can expand that some. And uh, control structures, uh, they, I mean, they are turn complete, but in, in some sense, they're more constrained. Um, you have to work more to to express anything in them compared to things like goto and so at the at the very end there's a, a level of a goto and recursion that really you can express anything and um, these are the ones that lead you into spaghetti code because they're so so simple and basic that you just uh, write oh go here go there um, and a, a similar thing ha happens with recursion maybe it's more manageable but it's not really that different you just say, go here, go there, and, uh, you know, you, you can't narrow down the space of programs easily to the ones you actually want to write as opposed to the ones you can write. Um, so what I did in BQN was I said, I decided, well, I'm going to have this limited array language, and then when you step outside of that, um, usually your tool is recursion, and that gives you uh, access to the broader world of functions. But... Um, you have this stack, so you can pick the appropriate level in the stack for your problem. So, and mostly it is possible to stay in the array world. Um, other than that, I mean, I, I don't have this level in between that control structures give you. So that's almost an issue. Um, and it does come up where you say, well, a control structure would be a lot nicer for this particular problem. But instead, I have to step out and use recursion, or I have to use... Um, we do have uh, one, um, a thing that's a system operator in CBQN that does, uh, that is basically APL's power limit, that does a while loop that says, until this condition is met, do this thing. Um, and it's the same, like it, it gives you unbounded programming, but that might not really be what you want. So 
I mean, yeah, it works, but at the same time, it does feel like there's a there's a level in between that's missing. And I wasn't willing to go with uh, at least so far. I haven't wanted to introduce all the complexity of control structures. Um, but it's a hard choice. Have you tried writing, or has has anybody written an an interactive full stack with front end programming BQN? Um, and because that that's where it comes in a lot, right? I have the users interacting with a GUI on the behind the covers of that GUI. There's the program is running around in a certain flow, popping up a question to the user, users answering something, going down a certain route, asking something something else until the, everything is done, and doing that using recursion uh, sounds painful to me <laughs> to say the least. Yeah, well, I think you'd have an outer. Um an outer uh, infinite loop. And then that makes things a lot easier. Um, one of the things I did notice is that while, yeah, the um, when you want a control structure and don't have it, it's tough. The absolute number of loops where this happens is very small. Like even for programs where you think of them as really um, as imperative in nature, it's usually just like one loop, maybe two. So, um, So, I mean, yeah, in that sense, it's worse that you have to, for these particular loops, go go into the broader range of recursion or, or the infinite while loop. Um, but at the same time, it happens very few times for the program. And that's also one of the problems I have in developing other solutions, is that I have so few examples of these that I can't really figure out what, what works best in most cases because I just haven't seen it that much. So that's where APL and J just provide a fairly large vocabulary of traditional control structures and then people will use whatever they want clearly you don't need both a repeat and a while loop but yeah why not just give them all of that yeah i mean so they use this whole system that was developed in algol when when that was really the system that you were going to use you didn't have this uh array or um you could even say uh function-oriented programming where you're mapping functions or uh, doing reductions and things like that, function-level programming. They didn't have this level, so they developed a very expansive control structure vocabulary because that was how you programmed. And then with BQN, I'm saying, well, uh, I mean, yeah, this level has its uses, but do we really need to introduce all this complexity to the language in order to have access to this level? And um, so far, I'm sticking with no. And um, I mean, I'm still hoping to find, uh, like the predicate was one that came in pretty late. And that helps with a lot of things because you can do, uh, that gives you basically access to an if-else kind of thing. Um, so I'm, I'm still hoping, you know, to find more simple additions to the language that I can do that give you, uh, that make it more expressive in some way. But I don't feel like I want that to, I want to bring in all of Algol. <laughs> you, you mentioned that just using primitives in BQN, you you can't really write unbounded uh, code. Well, you can write infinite recursion, I suppose. Um, well, recursion doesn't use primitives; it uses blocks. Right. Okay. So, um, so tacit programming is programming without blocks, and that is actually um, it's not Turing complete. You you can't express infinite computations. Ah, I suppose in, in, in the dialogue APL, the power operator does provide you with completion. 
to me. Yeah, because you've got this power limit. Yeah. Although I think that's a pretty, like, if you want to be doing general purpose tacit programming, power limit is a really awkward foundation. To oh, yeah. No. But what happens uh, if you do in, use the power operator in BQN and use uh, infinity? Will it not just run forever? Infinity specifically, it'll give you an error. A very large number, it will run for a long time. The issue that you'll have then is that it will not actually stop. So you've expressed a very long finite loop and you have no way to get out. Oh, okay. Yeah, because I mean, Jay has something like that where you can run an infinite loop and then there's a special symbol to get out, right? Yeah, what, what Jay does is if you put infinity into it, it will run until there is no change to its result. So it's comparing the previous result to the current result. And if there's no difference between them, then it stops. And so that way you can actually nest your power operators and you can, and Connor's original question, how would you multiply or, or double all the, all the numbers in a, in a list until they get over a thousand? Well, that's how you do it. You essentially look at each item on its own run each as its own little separate loop and each of them go up to the point where they get over a thousand and that's an inner loop and the outer loop is run it till there's no change well if you say over a thousand is your your inner loop control on your power operator then when it goes over a thousand it's going to be zero and then nothing happens and then it stops and because you're doing rank rank zero, each item will be on its own, or each atom will be on its own. So you could get all your atoms would run their own separate little loops, and that's how it uses the infinity. Is just it just looks for no change, and when there's no change, it stops. Um, so you, you you use that nesting, um, and I, I think that's actually a really powerful little construct that that I use fairly often. Yeah, that's equivalent to power match in in APR. I guess so. I mean, I used it when I was a J programmer because you kind of have to. But I feel like um, I feel like it is tangling things together, sort of. Uh, I mean, same complaint as APL, but it doesn't feel really foundational because then you have to be uh, managing whether each step in the loop returns the same value as the previous one or not. So, I mean, like if you've got a random loop, if you want to generate things randomly and keep going until uh, until you fit a certain condition. Uh, then if you generate the same thing twice, then it'll stop even though you're not really done. Um, and also you have to, uh, if there's no natural way to, uh, if it doesn't naturally like reach a limit and, and converge, then you have to add this extra layer of asking if I'm done, adding another power operator. So you're definitely using the concept of a limit to create your your loop and if you're not working with something that would have a limit like a random input then i i would agree you really can't use it that way and and rely on it yeah i mean so i feel like that's just not the um i mean it's definitely useful for mathematical stuff um it the, the other thing that it felt to me was like a lot of the times you want to tweak little details and that's a warning sign to me that something doesn't really belong as a primitive in a BQN. If you would say, well, this thing is great, but I want it to work a little differently, that should really be a function that you define so that you can go and write your own version of it instead of being a primitive where the language is telling you this is the function you want because um, if it might not be, then the language shouldn't tell you that. So that happens with a power operator in APL. So and it runs 
So what it does is similar to the power infinity in J, it takes two consecutive results of applying the function over and over again and compares them. We would call it compare, but I mean, really applies them to the right operand um, as, as arguments. And then that right operand has to return a Boolean true or false, whether or not to the, con the condition has been fulfilled, but it can do be any coding. It can use a, a variable from outside as well to decide that. Or even do a whole bunch of stuff and ask the user if we're done yet or something like that. Um, and and so the common thing is to do power match. Problem is if you do some kind of condition, like say I want to to square it or whatever it was, double it until it's larger than a thousand. Um, what if it's already larger than a thousand when we start? And then yes, it will stop, but it will stop too late. Because in order to compare two consecutive results, it must apply at least once so that you can compare the initial value to the uh, to the next value. And by that time, we've already gone too far and you can't backtrack. So then you have to build some ugly construct where like apply this function until this condition if the condition isn't already fulfilled so you need, can you you can do that using two power operators it's just a bit ugly to do yeah that. well but apl has the has the sort of issue that the the power limit thing takes up the case of a function operand on the right so in j when you have a function operand on the right that's just applied to the arguments and it tells you then how many times to run so it's applied once at the beginning um and that's it but in APL, the function does this uh, checking every time thing. So you can't really use it directly as, um, like you can't have a function to run on your arguments. You could have, you could compute a zero or one and stick that on it, um, but you can't. Uh, yeah, we have to put it in parentheses and, and separate it. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's a bit ugly, but it can be done. Uh, but then again, I mean, in such a case, I can use control structures and it's not going to run slower because I'm using control structures because the other approach is not array based either. It's also loopy. And, and I don't think uh, it's, it's worth forcing people into something that's just harder to read where, where, especially if you come from other languages that use keywords like that, it's immediately readable and you can see the structure. Um, and and uh, another another case with such a loopy thing uh, that I often find, let's say I'm I'm processing a huge uh, list of things, and so we'll reach for the uh, for the each operator or rank something, and that might look like you're avoiding a loop, but of course internally it is just a normal loop. Now let's say that I'm doing a lot of processing on each element. It could be writing files to the disk or whatever. Midway, I hit an issue, execution stops. And so APL, um, especially of these various program languages, very much try to make the experience of interactive programming pleasant. And so the interpreter will stop midway, and then you can modify your code even and continue execution. Um, and there, having it in a, an explicit loop, a for loop, for example, for me at least, generally, is it's much more pleasant to work with than being suspended inside an invisible loop. I can see what what exactly it is I'm looping over. It's everything is immediately available. Uh, it doesn't become a question. Let's say I'm applying an anonymous function um, on each. So 
what does it even mean to edit that function in the middle of the loop? Now what gets applied to the next element? Because we've already kind of created this derived function of my function each and I'm in the middle of applying it. Having a normal for loop, I can see exactly what state I'm in um, and, and continue or back up and start the loop over again or just skip out of it and continue. Um, and, and the same thing is if, if I have control flow that goes wrong and I'm, I'm tracing through my code, then I can fix stuff and manually move the, the active line in the debugger to the right place and continue from there. If I was constructing everything with derived functions based on operators, that would be completely impossible. And so I find that, yeah, sure, maybe it's not as pure. Maybe it is a bit bloated. Maybe it is a bit ugly. But sometimes I just need to get stuff done. And it's really useful for that. So we're over by a few minutes. Um, but I've been trying to figure out. So we've talked about power match. And we mentioned in BQN power limit and also in J power infinity. And the documentation and the dialog APL site mentions that when power is used with either match or equal, it's sometimes referred to as fixed point, which those from mathematics background or avid readers might have come across that. So I guess maybe, or maybe this is a bad way to end the episode, but I haven't been able to figure this out. And I, from my understanding is that this actual, this power match thing or power limit is actually quite, no pun intended, limited. Um, so say, let's see if there's a way to spell this in any of the array language. If I want to start with the number two, and raise it to the power of two repeatedly until it goes above a thousand. Is that actually possible? Because from my brief, you know, I've been mostly engaged in this podcast, so I haven't really, really been able to deep dive. Uh, but from what I can tell is you're limited to the case where your right argument is the thing that's being sort of inserted repetitively. So if you're trying to use that as a part of, a predicate check that's not something that's a fixed point, like, you know, greater than a thousand. I don't actually want the thousand to be involved in my repetitively squaring of the two. Uh, but so, so I basically want to do two squared is four. How would you spell it? I, I can tell you how you would spell it. So first I would do the square, which I would write as self multiplication. So multiplication selfie, multiplication commute power operator, then I would write a little defin. Uh, the defin would have an alpha, that's a left argument, um, greater than 1000, close brace, and then two. So this says, apply the self-multiplication over and over again until the current value is greater than 1000. That's it. 65,536. So this was multi multiply selfie uh, power operator, brace alpha greater than 1,000, yep. and brace 2. Because I got 65,000. I think that's right. Live coding. That's 2 to the 16, right? So um, so the previous one was 2 to the 8, which is... That would be yeah. less than 1,000. Did you actually mean squaring, or, did you, actually, or you meant multiply by 2? Or... <laughs> oh, yeah, maybe I meant multiply by two. Okay, so in that case, you would write that two times power operator 
open brace, alpha greater than a thousand, close brace two. It just says multiply by two, and that right, gives you a thousand twenty-four. Right. If that's what you meant. So Adam is doubly correct, and Connor is singly wrong. Um, that was my mistake there. So and I think that's pretty clean and neat. This this is actually what I would have expected something like this. Um, the problem here is what happens if you if instead of two you write a thousand and one. Then it should return a thousand and one, but it doesn't. It returns two thousand and two, because it it starts by applying the function so that it can even see if we reach it or not. So what is? I mean, that is an issue, but I it's much it's a much smaller issue than not being able to write this at all. Is it though? Uh, I mean, for certain problems. I mean, it, it's it's kind of dangerous in a language if uh, if you write something and it's wrong in a few cases, because then you have a program, I mean, because then you ship it, and then it breaks. So, uh, it may or may not be better. That's actually, that's a good point. Um, understanding this, though, there's no omega in this defund. Yeah, so... So what's actually happening? The what the, the fact that there's only an alpha? Like, what is, what's going on here? Uh, so what I would suggest to you to is insert into the, right inside the brace, the open brace, uh -huh. Insert quad gets alpha omega diamond. So now every time around the loop, it will print the, its left argument and its right argument. So there is a right argument, but you're just not, we're just not using it. And so you, what you see here is every time around the loop, it gets the next value as left argument and the current value, well, a previous value, if you want, as right argument. And so the, we, by only looking at the left argument, we can stop on time. So basically what it does is it runs this until we have a condition, then returns the next value. So we want to, to, to write our condition in terms of the next value. That's the one that will be returned. What is quad gets? I typed That's G. just output. Is it capital G? Well, no, no. Quad left arrow. Quad assign. Oh, I see. I did not know that that you colloquially refer to that as gets. Okay. Uh, Sorry. So, ooh, that's nice. So then it, now it prints out every time around the loop. It prints out what its left and right arguments are, so you can inspect what's going on as a side effect of running. But it actually the return from the function is of course alpha greater than a uh, thousand, and so we can see what the function sees every time around the loop. And yes, there is this edge condition, but it's not. It's not if you're aware of how power works. I don't think it has ever happened to me that I actually fell for this edge condition. It's just something well, so you have to be aware of. Two things happen. You, you, you didn't. Two things have to happen for it to break. You have to write the code that's broken, and then you have to run it in a case where it's uh, where it needs to do zero iterations. So it may be the case that you have fallen for it and just didn't uh, didn't hit that case in real life, and so you have bugs still. Sitting out there, yeah, that's true. But uh, ghosts in the machine waiting to waiting to snatch you. Yeah, it's true. And maybe it could have been defined in such a way that it would start off by applying to the original argument twice, but it kind of needs a right and left argument, so it's a little bit. If you if you were if it say applied if you use the same argument as left and right argument, and you were trying to do a power limit then it would immediately stop because the argument is already equal to itself. If you didn't give it a left argument to begin with, then you have to start off with a value error. 
you kind of have to give it a default value, it get kind of ugly as well. Yeah, to me, it's it's an affordance. You you with that infinity in J, you get a chance to um, use that power, <laughs> no pun intended, um, in a way that's kind of useful in a lot of cases. But as you point out, Marshall, there can be cases where it comes back to bite you. You have to be aware of that. But I think that's true of a lot of things that you use the power of or the functionality of. Um, it can work against you as uh, if you get into the right situation or the wrong situation, it'll blow up in your face. So you have to be aware of those things. But generally, I think the functionality of being able to use the infinite that way to compare the last two iterations, I find really, really useful. Yeah, I mean, so it's a, it's a pretty messy world when you get into all these uh, programs that, that want to stop at some uh, at for some reason, I mean, there are all sorts of reasons you would want to stop. Um, so, I mean, that's one thing. I'm not claiming I'm better because I don't feel like I have a good handle on what programming constructs you really should be using here. Um, I think there should be better ones. I think they're probably out there. Um, but, yeah, it's it's a lot messier than designing uh, array primitives, I feel. Well, I would say the one thing, if you took control structures out of the language, then you really are... Uh, enforcing uh, array programmers would have to use array programming. Um, well, no, they generally have to use functional programming. Or functional that. programming. You would yeah. use that kind of uh, mindset. And there is actually, um, so in CBQN at least, we have this um, this system function dot underscore while underscore. So that's a two modifier. That's what the under, underscores say. And that does, um, it, uh, well, I guess it's most similar to, to uh, J's power condition, power infinity. Um, so it just repeats the function on the left as long as the function on the right holds. Um, and that way with the system function, you get the word that explains what it does. So that's kind of nice. Because um, in the end, I just don't feel like this functionality is too related to the idea of repeating a function a fixed number of times. Because um, you have this extra thing that you're putting on. Also, you want to test whether this uh this condition holds yeah this is definitely definitely something i will we, we will um leave maybe a, maybe a couple different links not just to the example that we talked about at the end because i've just been thinking about that since since i've had the code on my screen but it's definitely food for thought because i agree with marshall that um i like at the moment i'm happy now that i know how to solve my leak code problems that require me to like eagerly do some kind of take while where, you know, half of those problems, you can do some sort of pre-computation to figure out the number of times you need to do something. And so you can, you can fit it more into the array model, but there are problems where that becomes a lot trickier or it's, it's unrealistic to do that pre-computation because then you're just doing things twice. And so, yeah, we'll leave links to like little try APL snippets, for folks that are interested in this, um, and, and maybe even we'll do some J playground ones, and uh, for folks that are interested in this sort of power match or power limit or power infinity idea, because it's definitely, I mean, I wouldn't put it up there right next to dyadic transpose and, and rank, but um, I definitely think that this is, it's definitely not a beginner beginner topic. And like I said, I've made it, whatever, two years, or however many, however much time I've been studying the array languages without actually figuring out how to do this. Um, so, yeah, we'll leave links. I'm not sure if, Adam, you're about to say something, things we want to close off on, tell the listener. Well, just as an example of, of this pre-computing, in the example you gave uh, here with multi multiply by or double 
until greater than 1024. In, in case it's not obvious to, to the listeners, um, you could use logarithms. So the, the, the two logarithm of... Yeah, yeah. The, the APL solution is uh, ceiling under log base two. Yeah, you could you could do it like that, or or you could compute the number of times in advance, right? The way you do it, you you can get the two logarithm of two and one thousand, and subtract them from each other, and and round that up. That gives you uh, the number of times you'll have to multiply by two. And you could do it like that, or you could do the math obviously with logarithms and so on, and and powers. Um, so, um, and uh, that's preferable, but not every case you can do that. And then something we will leave a link to is is uh, adding that extra power operator to do the initial check, so that you don't end up doing one time too much in in the edge condition. It's uh, it's not the most beautiful, but it works, and you can factor out the condition so that it looks a bit better. And yeah, that that pointing pointing out the ceiling uh, logarithm solution is actually. A great example, not necessarily because that's more just math, but like straight up, I think I was on the APL Farm Discord solving something in BQN, and then Marshall pointed out, you know, you can just there's log, like that's a that's a thing, and I was like, oh yeah, I forgot about that from math. Like, I think I was literally doing like the inverse of expo, like, and he was just like, what? This isn't even APL or BQN at this point. This is just this is just math 101. Uh, but even though that might be a sort of a convoluted example, there are ways of like trying to bend your brain differently to solve things the array way um and i think that's what we should all sort of be chasing is a lot of the times we think oh you know i need i need a eager while or something like that and when really is you just you need to explore the different ways to solve these problems and a lot of times not all the times but some of the times for sure there is a nicer sort of array solution that until you've seen sort of that that kind of solution you're not going to immediately think about it um any other things we want to say to the listener oh maybe get in t- touch with us if you'd like to get in touch with us you can reach us at contact at arraycast.com all righty and uh, we look forward to that we've had lots of uh, responses especially from our 30th episode um, because we were asking for that a lot of people have responded to it and actually this topic uh, that we're working on right now uh, came, and I, I went back looking for it. I'm pretty sure it came from a Reddit thread, but I haven't been able to find it. But somebody did suggest this, that it, the control control structures um, would be a good thing to look at across the different languages. And I don't know who that person is, but thank you for suggesting that, because we did make that the topic of this show. And if there's any subject that you'd, you'd like to hear discussed in the context of array programming, then feel free to reach out to us. We do read carefully every single email. And and there has been a lot of feedback saying people really enjoyed the more dense uh, <laughs> transpose and, and tacit programming discussions. Um, that's interesting, but the, but the fans of, of that group are really fans. They really enjoy that kind of discussion. I guess you don't get it anywhere else, so that would be why they're most interested in it. Yeah, I feel like there's some like moral hazard or, uh, you know, there's one of those cognitive bias where we're self-selecting for the folks that you know like that kind of and uh you know maybe it's because those are the people most likely to email yeah they made it to episode 30 because we scared them away at episode 7 with those those conversations that all the feedback we're getting at this point is just the people that hung on so if you're one of those people if you're a person who's less likely to email us please email us right yeah (laughs) 
not sure if there's a logical fallacy in that. But we're going to continue to do interviews, um, and those are amongst our most popular episodes by the number of downloads. So don't feel like we're going to go romping off into the the uh, min, minutiae of the of the array languages because we're going. There's lots of great stories to tell about people who are involved with the array languages, and those tend to be less technical. Yeah, there'll be there'll be a mix for sure. Um, I, I enjoy both the interviews and and the deep dives as well. So. But I think with that, we will say, happy array programming. Happy array programming. programming.